Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Evaluating soft skills has always been a challenge for onboarding and recruiting, and the challenge only increased with the move towards remote interviews. Today, I'm going to talk about this with my guests. I'm pleased to have with me Annie Lynn, VP of Lever, a recruiting software company. Thank you, Annie, so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. To get started, I think most people are probably aware, but could you just define what soft skills are and why they're so important? Absolutely. I think of soft skills as foundational skill sets that are, generally speaking, more agnostic to the specific role that you might have. So in contrast, you know, I think of what people often call hard skills or technical skills as the skill sets or knowledge that you need to have for your specific job and your specific role. Versus soft skills are uh, skills that you might need or might benefit you. generally regardless of the exact role you might be in. When I hear it talked about, it's always put in terms of things like communication and leadership skills. Um, but you know, your definition is a little bit more expansive than that, which, which I like. Was, <laughs> so I think I know the answer to this question, but was identifying soft skills in person uh, during interviews and during onboarding difficult in the first place? Um, very much so. I think interviewing for skills in general is in and of itself a skill that I think many companies are trying to get better at over time. And soft skills definitely come with their own challenges, particularly because the way different companies think about soft skills and what good looks like could be fairly context dependent and different from person to person, interviewer to interviewer and company to company. One of the things I always talk about uh, is... The fact that people are uncomfortable and awkward during their interviews, almost always. I mean, sure, there's some charismatic powerhouses out there that are able to somehow pull off not being awkward and uncomfortable during an interview. Um, but, you know, when you're being evaluated during an interview, if you're feeling awkward, you're not going to express necessarily who you would be when you're comfortable, which might be someone completely different. How do you account for that or, or counter that? Yeah, no, it's a really good point. At Lever, at least, the way we try to go about our interviewing process, exactly because of what you just said, is we try to make the atmosphere as close as possible to what they would actually be experiencing as an employee, right? So after they're hired, what does that environment look like, feel like? Uh, and we try to mimic that in, in vibes, if you will, as much as we can during the interviews. Now, of course, that's not always possible. It's Uh, probably not every hour as an employee that somebody will be asking you, you know, a bunch of questions back to back. Um, But what we try to do, for example, is to make sure that we we build rapport, right? That it is um, not just a one-way grilling exercise, but that there is genuine thought and effort put into building a relationship, leaving space for the candidate to to also ask questions of us. Um, and ultimately make that environment a little bit more comfortable and, and friendly, right? Um, and it, what's what's also true is that in a talent market like we have today, every interview does need to be a two-way interview, right? I think companies that understand that and realize that every conversation is 
you know, you vetting the candidate, but also the, the candidate vetting you. Those are the companies that pay attention to candidate experience, you know, pay attention to building rapport. Uh, and those are the companies that are more likely to win uh, talent. Yeah, it's been interesting to witness. I think when I, you know, when I was first getting onto the job market, I never even considered really asking that many questions other than sort of nuts and bolts stuff, you know, like, you know, what, what are the hours and when do I start and stuff like that. But yeah, now it's very different. There is a, there is the expectation that you as the candidate will ask difficult and penetrating questions of the employer and they'd better be ready. Right. Yes. Well, you know, so there's one other thing I want to talk about before we switch over to, or we look at what this looks like now in a remote setting, which is, and it's been a while since I've read this article, but I remember reading about evaluating soft skills and one of the issues was that people can appear to have good soft skills without actually having them because they might just be charismatic. Is that something you've encountered or you know anything about? Yeah, I mean, interviewing itself is a skill set, right? And some people are are better at it than than others. We just talked about uh, doing our best to create an environment that mimics their real working environment. But at the end of the day, interviews are still an artificially created environment, no matter what, right? Um, And some people do better in that particular environment than others. Um, and so absolutely, I think that's true. And I think there's a few things that companies can do to, to do their best to try to mitigate that. For example, um, at Lever at least, depending on the role, we will sometimes have parts of the interview process that are meant to help us really see the person, quote unquote, in action. Right. So this is taking them a little bit out of that artificial environment, even if it is still a little bit. Right. Uh, and both letting them feel more comfortable in the interview process and allowing us to see how they might really uh, show up. Right. In a slightly closer to reality kind of environment. So examples of this are for some roles, we will ask the candidate to come up with and share a presentation with us. Uh, we obviously, we try to keep the exercise fairly lightweight, generally speaking, because candidates are busy, they they possibly have full-time jobs still. Uh, and so this is not about making them do a bunch of work, right? It's really about seeing how they might think through a real problem, how they might put information together, and ultimately how they might communicate and share that information. Um, and then uh, usually when we do presentations like that, uh, we'll leave space at the end for the interviewers to also ask questions um, of the presentation, which is a little bit more similar to what might really happen in a work environment where you need to present something and answer questions. Great. Great. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. So if these things were difficult to evaluate in person and now a huge percentage of the workforce is working remotely that means interviewing remotely and onboarding remotely. Um, how has that problem evolved? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think it interviews a lot of cues that people get that's nonverbal, right? Body language, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that becomes much more obscured um, in a virtual sort of Zoom-based, let's say, interview environment. Um, I will say that this, has, this, has, this comes with challenges, but it also has some advantages. Uh, because sometimes those types of nonverbal signals could also be sources of, quite frankly, unconscious bias uh, for the company doing the interviewing. Um, and so there's, I think, pros and cons, actually, to that becoming, honestly, a little bit less visible right, to the people doing the interviewing. 
I like that it gives the candidate an opportunity to control their environment in a way that yes. is not, you know, and it might make them a little bit more comfortable to put their best face forward because, you know, who knows what happens on the way to the way to interview or, you know, what that person's going through that day. You kind of just get them as as however they happen to be in that moment, right? And, and that's still true, I think, over remote. But like one of the things I've noticed is I used to do all phone interviews, audio interviews. Um, I I know people are sick and tired of being on Zoom calls. And so I do feel a little bad making people mm-hmm. show up on video when I interview them. But man, I really like it better. Just the, I can see when in the middle of a statement, when I'm entirely off base, or if I'm, you know, going somewhere that I, I think we can continue to talk about and alter it in the moment yeah. in a way that before required this awkward exchange at the end of my sentence. You know, yeah, where... yeah, definitely pros and cons for sure, right? For both sides of this. Um, so what's your approach to evaluating soft skills in a video interview then? You know, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm not sure it is all that different, right? From the way mm. that you might do it in person with obviously modifications and things to, to be mindful of as you're going about that. Um, the first thing that I often advise for people to do is to not forget to build rapport uh, in the beginning. I think with in-person conversations, that comes a little bit more naturally, right? You go greet somebody at the elevator or the lobby, you walk them to the conference room where the interview will happen. There's a lot of natural opportunities for you to you know, have small talk, build some rapport. Versus with video interviews, oftentimes what what people are facing is they're hopping from one meeting to the other, possibly with zero break in between, right? They're closing one Zoom window and opening another. Uh, And it's really easy to just jump right into it. Okay, like next thing, right? I'm supposed to ask these questions, et cetera. And it's, it's really important for interviewers to remember that the rapport building part is arguably even more important uh, over a virtual environment and to, to remember to take time, even like 30 seconds, right? At the beginning to do a little bit of that. That's a good reminder. I didn't do that this time. I usually <laughs> at least ask people something like, uh, yeah. you know, where are you? Where are you located? It's a good one, you know, or. Super easy for that to happen. I think on, in a virtual environment where you're just going from one, one screen to the next. Yeah. And you no longer have a lot of these sort of natural breakpoints, right? When you're in person that take you from one context to another and remind you to, to re sort of orient yourself into that new context again. And now a quick word from our program exchange events manager, Madeline Kinney. The HR Daily Advisor Exchange is happening this October 17th and 18th in Kissimmee, Florida. And you're not going to want to miss the opportunity to attend. Join an exclusive group of your peers for two days of networking, highly interactive educational session centered around critical HR business challenges and best practices, as well as one-to-one business meetings to discuss your needs and priorities with top solution providers. Qualified attendees receive complimentary hotel accommodations at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center. Registration and additional details are available on the HR Daily Advisors events tab. See you in Kissimmee this October for the exchange. Thanks so much. Back to you, Jim. Thank you, Madeline. And folks, uh, we will have a link to that events page in the description. One of the things around soft skills specifically is, you know, like a lot of these concepts, they get boiled down into like a five point article. You get kind of come away with this conclusion that soft skills equals good. So we want more soft skills. But 
soft skills aren't required for somebody to be good at their job, depending on what their job is, right? And so if an organization is focusing only on, well, we only want people that can, you know, easily carry a conversation or that we think are going to be good leaders, but then you're, you know, having people do very manual labor or they're doing something that doesn't really require them to be part of a team necessarily or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you're going to be alienating people that are going to be good for the job that you actually want them to do. How do you, how do you address that issue? Yeah. I mean, I think about it from, from two angles. One is what does the company need? So I think about that often from the perspective of what are the values of the company, right? What is the company value? in uh or what is the company what is the company considered to be success right across its employee base and then the second layer i think about of course is what that team and what that role require um and i think you're absolutely right soft skills um are different types of soft skills let's say are more critical for some companies and some roles than others and it's important for the folks who are doing the hiring to have a really good sense of what that looks like for their own team for their own for that particular role and for their company as an example one thing that's really important to lever and possibly you know other companies as well is is ownership mindset Right. Something where this is the idea that we want our our employees who are literally owners in the company, right, because they have uh, stock and equity in the company itself um, to to show up like owners. Right. To think about uh, not only their particular domain, uh, but also what this means for the business and being able to tie their work and their priorities to the business. Um, That by itself comes with a set of a set of soft skills. Right. Um, And it also probably doesn't come with other types of soft skills. And so knowing that about the company and then translating into what do we actually need for this particular role allows hiring managers to to make those kinds of decisions about what's really important across different types of roles and what's not. Well said. You know, we've been pretty much talking about interviewing so far, you know, that comes with its own challenges. Onboarding has always been an area where you know, what's the point of having a great recruiting system if you don't have a great onboarding system? Because you could spend all that effort getting the right people in the door and then because whatever, for whatever reason, there's no play, no way for them to stay or way for them to feel connected or integrated with the organization. Something I imagine uh, is more difficult in a remote in a remote setting. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Onboarding remotely definitely comes uh, with its own challenges for sure, right? Um, When we all went remote at the beginning of the pandemic, we had to rethink pretty much how we run our entire onboarding, not only from a logistics perspective, where there's, of course, a lot to figure out, but also from a content and experience perspective, uh, because we need to be really mindful of that to continue to make sure it's a really high quality experience for our new hires. Um, And so it's not just about, you know, switching things to now happen via Zoom. It's about relooking at the schedule throughout the day. Even something as simple as, um, even something as simple as, how do we make sure to still maintain a sense of connection among new hires in a remote environment? Even something as simple as, where do breaks happen throughout the day? <laughs> uh, becomes something that we have to rethink in a remote environment as well, right? Um, one thing I will say, you know, and this has been a little bit of a theme maybe throughout this this conversation today. Um, is that a lot? I see a lot of people and talent teams think about these types of challenges in a remote environment as challenges, and they definitely are. Right? There's a lot to figure out. 
But I think I would, well, I would challenge uh, everyone to also think about a lot of these types of new environments as opportunities. Um, because just as we've talked about before, there's actually a lot of pluses as well, right? In addition to very real downsides uh, that teams can tap into as well. For example, on onboarding, um, going remote has actually, in a lot of ways, leveled the playing field um, in our onboarding experience, right? Because before we had um, some folks were, most folks were based in, in offices, in their two different offices. Um, and But every once in a while, we'll, we'll have folks who are not based in one of those offices as well. And your experience might also be a little bit different depending on which office you're in, et cetera. Um, and we were fairly thoughtful before as well about making sure that experience is is a good one for everybody. But honestly, when we went remote, the experience by necessity became exactly the same pretty much, right? For everybody, everyone is dialing in from their home. Everyone is on Zoom. Um, and there was a lot that we were able to actually take advantage of that. Um, and so it will push teams to, to confront not only the very real challenges right, that came with this, these situations, but to also understand that it comes with a lot of upsides as well. Yeah, one of the upsides I see is that, I mean, there's a certain aura is kind of a too much of a loose word, but there's a certain set of feelings that comes with entering a space. Like, I still remember what it felt like to enter my current job's office for the first time. You know, the layout is different for the first time because you're not used to it. So you kind of get like a, a false sense of what the place looks like. And then that gets adjusted as you get more comfortable and then its contours are added like, yeah, where's the break room? How do I get in and out of the building? And then who am I working with, right? Changes changes that. But now it's who am I working with, period, right? That's your interaction with the company. Almost 100% is the people you're talking to on a daily basis. Uh, I think that's a great opportunity, you know, to have the skills and capabilities of the team be the number one frontline value. 100%, yeah. I also think in a lot of ways, it's it forces companies to be uh, a lot more inclusive, right? Of people with different types of working styles um, and honestly, like personal life arrangements uh, because an office is one way one can go about work, right? Um, and one can be productive. And quite frankly, that might or might not be what everyone finds productive. Um, and now we're in this environment where everybody has a little bit more control over their environment. Now, I will say that for those who are who are more productive in offices, the pandemic has, of course, been really tough for that and many other reasons. Um, but it, it does actually, I think, open a lot of companies' eyes to the fact that there is multiple ways, right, for people to be successful and to be productive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, an office is kind of a fishbowl of sorts. Yeah. You know, it's like you're saying earlier, it's an artificial environment. Right. Not everybody's going to fit well, fit well in that, especially when it comes to physical difficulties, you know, people with physical disabilities or, you know, even other kinds of disabilities where sort of the uh, terrain of the work itself becomes an impediment. Yes. So I think that's a, a great opportunity for people to start looking at talent as talent and instead of overlooking all these sources of really excellent uh, and quality workers that have been overlooked. Yeah, 100%. What do you think, are there, are there any sort of features? It doesn't necessarily have to be about soft skills, but, you know, sort of recruiting and onboarding in general that we just need to sort of forget about going forward and let go. 
That is a, that's a really interesting question. I think my answer applies to some companies and maybe not others, but I certainly think that for some companies, the idea to, to kind of what we just talked about, right? The idea of there being one mode of being an employee at this company is an idea that a lot of companies are going to probably come to terms. A lot of companies will probably likely need to part ways with, right? Um, However, like a lot of other companies, after talking to our employees, looking at what's best for the business, we made the decision to move into a hybrid model um, after COVID. And what that means is we will have offices again once it's safe in our headquarter locations right now for us, that's San Francisco and Toronto. Um, we also picked um, LA and Chicago as our hub locations where we will not have offices for now, but we will intentionally hire people there as well as in our headquarters. And we are also being more open to people who are not based in any of those four locations, right? Who will, who will be remote, remote full time. Um, and so we're going with this model where, um, sorry, let me come, take a step back. And even in our headquarters where there will be offices, we expect that most people will come into the office only for part of the week, right? So we're going into this model where um, folks are much more geographically distributed. We're not all gonna be in the office at the same time, if at all. Um, and quite frankly, what that means is that we're moving toward a world where there are multiple employee experiences. Uh, and what we've sort of come to, what we've decided on philosophically is uh, we want to provide that level of flexibility to our employees. And that's by design. And the, and the flip side of that is because of that, we're not actually aiming for complete egalitarianism in terms of people's day-to-day -day experiences, but we are going to be really intentional about making sure that people have equitable opportunities to have meaningful impact, right? And so the, the mindset for us, and I think for a lot of companies, are going to need are going to need to shift. And I think this is actually a really, really healthy shift um, from what is like the one or two or very small number of employee experiences that I want to provide for our employees to um, the world where there's a lot more flexibility. And so by, by design, there's a lot of, everyone's going to have very different day-to-day -day experiences and that's okay. But how do we be really intentional about designing our outcomes regardless of people's experiences? Yeah, it's, it's something I've noticed, you know, I've thought about a lot actually is this move from sort of the equalizer of work to the requirement of equity in a remote, in a remote world. And in many ways, it's an antithesis to a sort of traditional look of HR. You know, I think traditionally, anyway, HR people looked at that equalizer of the building as a kind of protection where you didn't want to point out differences between people. You didn't want to see the differences because you, you didn't want to open yourself up to various kinds of liability, um, which is something that is still possible for that, you know, for there to be negative consequences mm -hmm. um, from a compliance standpoint, but that they're, I'm glad that HR people are having to tackle now. Yeah, no, definitely. It needed to happen. 100%. I, I think it's about pushing the profession and the industry to think about, to be more intentional, right? About what needs to be equal and what doesn't. Uh, and I think the shift has moved away from equal like being everyone being having ex exactly the same day-to-day -day details and experiences 
to being equal in people's ultimately opportunities, right? To, to be successful and do good work. Uh, if you have a little bit more time, there's a couple of the larger sort of challenges that I'd like to ask you about. Um, one is the mass leaving of women from the workforce over the last 18 months. It's been mm-hmm. incredibly devastating towards efforts to create equity and equality amongst the genders in the American workforce. Is that something you guys are tackling and how? It is very top of mind for us. Um, it's honestly very a very sad trend to see, right, in the workforce. Um, there are a few things that we've tried uh, at Lever uh, to help with this. Uh, one is we've been flexible with employees who request for more flexible or more different types of work arrangements, right? So we've had employees who, um, for various sort of personal family reasons, have asked to go part-time or have asked to adjust their hours or their working schedules uh, on a temporary basis or sometimes on an indefinite basis, right? But while uh, we're all going through this together as a world, um, as a society, and we've been, as much as we can, accommodating and flexible to them. Uh, and I, I, I hope that that's been helpful to the folks who have requested that. Um, the second thing is that we took another look at our benefits. Uh, and very much we took a lens of how can we adjust our benefits to be more flexible, not only to parents and families, but also, quite frankly, the pandemic has also exposed just people have had to confront Right, a lot of different types of difficulties as their work life and their personal life uh, collided in a way that we really never, like no one really ever expected necessarily, right? Um, and so we, we adjusted our benefits earlier this year um, to provide a lot more flexibility. So we now actually have what we call a work from home stipend. Um, and it's a it's a monthly stipend that we allow our employees to apply to a variety of different types of needs um, that help them uh, have you know an easier uh, that help them with a variety of their home sort of family personal related needs um, and so we made that intention really vague um, so that different people with different types of home circumstances can still find value out of it. What a contrast to what Google is doing, um, where they're docking people's pay because they're, they're working remotely. Mm. It's, it's something I've talked to a lot of HR professionals about, and some of the more concerning responses have been, well, people live a different, we, you know, we pay such and such salary because the place where our headquarters is located has this sort of cost of living. So if someone's going to be working from a place that has a lower cost of living, then why should we pay them as much? They've been pretty clever and how they say that, but that's what they're saying. And they're looking for all these ways to <laughs> cut salaries, to to find a way to an excuse to cut salaries. It's interesting. It's exciting, refreshing to hear from an organization that took very much the other approach. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge that a lot of companies are facing, right? And, you know, when we thought about things like the work from home stipend, um, and thinking about things, you know, for example, people can use it to cover their Wi-Fi expenses, right? Even like childcare expenses, et cetera. Very much what's top of mind for us is one, we know that people now have to be responsible financially and otherwise uh, for a lot of other things happening at their home. And two, we also know that 
what that what those responsibilities are are different from person to person. So we didn't want to have like just a Wi-Fi stipend. We actually expanded it to be a much broader uh, set of money that people can apply to a variety of needs. It's a great approach. I haven't heard that one before. Um, I'm sure there are other people out there that thought of it, but you're the first I've talked to. So <laughs> I think that should be celebrated. That's a really good idea, especially keeping it as flexible as mm-hmm. you have. Um, um, Jim, I probably do have to run in a second, but let me know what you think makes sense here in the next couple of minutes. No, I think we've. Uh, you're an incredibly efficient answerer. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, I really like your style. Um, Thanks. I I, th- I think I can tell that the people at Lever and not Lever uh, are lucky to have <laughs> you. So why don't we why don't we call it there? Um, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks, Jim. It's been great talking to you. Absolutely. Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast if you have any thoughts or concerns about what we should cover next, or if you just want to say hi. Remember, you can listen to us on any major podcast platform, including Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we're also currently adding all kinds of video content, which includes some podcast-related stuff, but some other uh, fantastic content to our YouTube channel. There will be a link to all of that in the description. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.